Welcome to Threads of Enlightenment. As you guys know, it is my custom here to welcome our guests because I know they're coming with a couple of things very expensive in my eyes. Time. Time is such a beautiful commodity. And we all have 24 hours on this planet. No man has more or less. And so what we do with our time will speak volumes of who you are. One must learn to respect, honor, and uh, uh, give her the full due that she is. And she will teach us much. And you guys need to learn how to utilize her. The other is the journey. The journey housed who we were and created who we are. And so we want to honor Jason for coming and sharing both of these precious commodities with us so that we can learn from him to become better human spirits while we occupy this beautiful place that they keep telling us is called the earth. So, uh, Jason, welcome to Threads of Enlightenment. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It is an honor. Uh, introduce to you, uh, yourself to the people. Tell them how you serve mankind because I asked that question because I wanted to, for the individual that hears, that it's a grand thing. It's just not this little thing. When we look at ourselves, we offer uh, value to mankind as we go through our journey and so forth. So how do you serve mankind? Yeah, well, you know, that is something that I'm continuing to develop and hone, you know, as I move along. Um, I'll start with a little bit about my background is, you know, um, coming out of uh, my undergraduate studies, um, I was uh, in the Marines for five years. I served um, as a captain in the United States Marine Corps, um, did two tours, and we, we can get into that. I was uh, both an intelligence officer uh, and a platoon commander for a scout sniper platoon uh, during my second deployment. And so I had a wide range of really, you know, intense, but also really great experiences. I had uh, some excellent training um, in leadership and um, just, uh, you know, had a wide array of, um, of really great uh, experiences with individuals uh, during that time period. And um, overcame some challenges. And at the end of those five years, I realized that, you know, I had done everything in the Marines that I had set out to do. Um, I had participated in the, uh, the conflict that was, you know, going on at the time. And I had also been able to serve as a platoon commander and lead my own team. And so it was time for me to move on to the next mission statement of my life. Um, so then I got out of the Marines. I've since um, obtained a couple of graduate degrees, worked as a uh, as a college professor, um, worked in a, as a business consultant, and now as an author. And what I'm trying to do in the book is simply uh, give back and, and relay to to people uh, those lessons that were taught to me. You know, what was given to me when I went into the Marines was a code or an ethos. You know, it was a way of living uh, that I call yeah. the the warrior's way of living, the warrior spirit, um, which involves a number of different things. You know. Um, I break it down in, in the book um, into four primary virtues, um, which is, you know, servant leader mentality, living with truth and honesty, uh, living with strength and power, and then living with fortitude. So that's that's what I try to relay to uh, to the readers. That's the way I'm trying to serve right now. Um, and uh, it's really in response to, to the experiences I've had in my life, both good and bad. The, the great experiences being those um, that I'm, you know, kind of bringing up, like those in the military, um, and then some of the the bad experiences. Getting out of the the Marines, I found that there was this big hole in my life, um, kind of a loss of identity, which I had to struggle through, and I went on a really kind of a downward spiral for a while, trying to figure out what is the purpose of my life now that this huge piece of my life is gone, and how do I turn around and serve people. Uh, in a new way. And so this is my attempt to do that. That is awesome. I always tell people that um, that story that you just told is is always a moving target because right. the individual is constantly growing as the individual is constantly growing. Their mission statement, as you said, they'll begin to evolve in different things, adding different things and so forth. So I always make it a, a uh, uh, point to say that what you what you're doing right now because I know how that is and once someone um, 
becomes aware of who they are. Complacency becomes an enemy and we do not like complacency and it kind of helps in our motivation to move forward. One of the customs that we have here, Jason, is to go back, we call it uh, the first space that we hang out for a few years. We call it the family, where mom and dad is going to now uh, welcome us into this uh, uh, tribe, if you will. And they're mm -hmm. going to program you and I uh, with some information that they have acquired through their lives and so forth. Um, and they're not going to deposit data into you and your household. What was your family like? And uh, uh, invite us to that uh, uh, location, if you will. Yeah, so I grew up in a family that uh, my mom and dad um, stayed together. They got together in high school, and now they've been together for um, for more than 35 years. And so in that respect, it was oh. very lucky. I grew up in a loving family. Um, had two younger brothers, so there was three boys in the household, which so it was rather rambunctious at times. <laughs> um, we all um, were teenagers at the same time, uh, so yeah. the food was quite expensive for a period of time. <laughs> yeah, I, I know about that with my mom and dad. <laughs> we had five uh, of us. Let's see, what else? Uh, so I grew up kind of lower middle income. Uh, mm -hmm. And for a period of time, you know, when I was younger, um, my family struggled a bit with, with money. And uh, because my dad was, uh, you know, the sole provider for the family. So there was a year of my life, actually, that stands out where we actually weren't living in a house. We were we were living in an RV in an RV, um, like, you know, campsite. And yeah. uh, and so, you know, having five people and, and a dog, you know, living, you know, in a, in a 35 foot RV is a rather tight space. And. Yeah. Though you get really close with each other, there's, uh, you know, inevitable conflict. But the the one message that was always drilled into me and that I really took to heart was that it doesn't matter where you're living. Um, you know, you can be living in a cardboard box or you can be living in a, you know, a five-story mansion. What really matters is whether or not there's love and there's commitment between the people there. Um, yeah. And so whether or not, you know, it, does, it doesn't matter your living situation. It's the fact that we're all together, we're a family, and we're going to stick by each other through thick and thin. And so it was that really communal, uh, um, you know, respect for, for each other, for other people, mm -hmm. and sticking together through the hard times that I really internalized. Um, and I think that it served me well, you know, as now I'm trying to, uh, you know, start my own family, got a, got a uh, three-month-old, you know, my first kid right now. That, uh, Congratulations. Thank you. And um, even when I was in the Marines, it's, it's like just a reinforcement of that idea that we're a team. And so our, our responsibility yeah. extends beyond ourselves. It's also our responsibility to our family, to our unit, to the broader mission that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. How did that, um, um, that whole situation with being in uh, that um, financial squeeze, if you will, for a period of time. How did you relate uh, to the outside folks, mom and dad, uh, grant, granted you a powerful lesson as to location doesn't really matter, but who you are within that location speaks volumes of yourself. How did you relate to others? Because you know how people are and how kids are uh, on the outside, um, and they can be um, a little different, they, if you will, they'll be a little more judgmental if you, if you know what I'm talking about. How was your relationship with the others on the outside? You know, I, uh, I grew up in a, um, in a pretty supportive community as far as friends are concerned. Um, mm -hmm. never really the most popular kid. I always had trouble making friends. I think that was mostly just my personality type. Yeah. Um, my brother, everywhere we went and then in the first 30 seconds he made like a new best friend and i was kind of <laughs> um so you know but those friends i did have you know i wouldn't say they were they were very judgmental but i was also keenly aware at all times that i kind of came from a little bit less and so i think yeah, all yeah. i grew up a bit of a kind of a chip on my shoulder um mm -hmm. 
and uh, saying that, yeah, you know, I might be here now, but I'm not always going to be here. I'm, you know, one day I'm going to uh, prove everybody else wrong, you know, both in terms of maybe monetary accomplishments, but also from the fact of like the point of view that I was, wasn't the most popular kid. And yeah. so, you know, a bit of a chip on my shoulder there saying like, well, I don't need you guys. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to make my own way in the world. And, yeah. um, and it's something that I still kind of struggle with today as uh, um, I have a very independent spirit. And so yeah. um, my wife has come to know this about me, that if we're going to have like a party or we're going to have friends over, probably she's going to be the one that's putting it together. Uh, that's so funny. So, like, I think together well, you know, I, and I've certainly yeah. uh, tried to expand my own, um, my own uh, uh, sphere of, of comfort, you know, so, you know, definitely, um, you know, become more, much more comfortable in interpersonal communication and trying to yeah. you know, open myself up to friends. It's just not something that ever comes easily to me. Yeah, one of the reasons why Jason and I asked those questions because um, I always tell people as, as kids, we will make this statement, I call it the statement of faith, uh, faith meaning that that little kid believes mm -hmm. what he said more than anything else from the mom and dad. And it's usually mm -hmm. based on a situation that we are in. We see from the outside, we're looking at that, and you, as you said, I may be here right now, but I'm not going to be here forever. And that decision, that internal decision, and I, I think, person, Jason, is that sometimes we tap into our um, subconscious being, and I believe that when we make a decision from there, <laughs> that's the thing that drives us. Because people make decisions from here all day long and never do anything, but the one that's right. made here. So there's this little kid that says this, and then he begins to be that, what he says in his mind or her mind, what that means to them will mm -hmm. manifest and begin to govern their life for a while. So you're heading in the direction where you're going to prove it to the people, if you will. And you're looking towards school. Um, why did you pick the field that you did um, when you're heading in that direction? Because again, you had determined within yourself that I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be something. I'm gonna move mm. from where we are, we are right now. Well, I think I wanted to prove something to other people, but I also there was that that need to prove myself to myself, mm -hmm. figure out who I was because. You know, I was I really wasn't sure who I was. And I think maybe most people when they're in undergraduate, you know, when they're, when they're young man, young woman, I think maybe a lot of people are in that situation. But I definitely was. I had a lot of insecurity yeah. and I wanted to prove myself to myself. Um, so when I was at school, that that's what interested me first in the military is I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to see what I was capable of. And I wanted to prove that I could be you know, that I could be one of the best. I could stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best and that I could come out and be successful. Yeah. So that's uh, what fit me in the military. It's not just, yeah. I grew up in a family that was very supportive of everyone who serves. You know, my uncle was a was a, um, a highway patrol officer um, and I actually got to go to his funeral. He died rather young um, from smoking lung cancer. Um, so it was a very sad occasion, but I also got to see all the respect that was that from his fellow officers that showed up and, and you know, gave speeches, um, uh, attesting to his bravery, his courage, his service. And I always, like, that made an impression on me of, like, okay, how am I going to be able to live up to this? You know, what, what can I do? Um, yeah. That was certainly played a role in it. I've always had a huge respect for those people who serve, whether it be teachers, whether it be you know police officers, whether it be military. Um, but when it came down to it, I wanted to prove that I could that I could do it, that I could hack it, and I could be the best. So when you got there and you began to move forward in your quest to mm -hmm. uh, show who you are, um, and you began to um, be tested, if you will. They began mm -hmm. to, um, I tell people, we are all being programmed all day long. If you understand how to utilize that programming, it could be very effective. So here you are, they're now conditioning you to the point where you are going to become, um, I call it, this is the reason why they're conditioning you, because they want to have a conditioned response, meaning that you're trained so often that when a situation arises, 
you're mm -hmm. able to respond from just mm -hmm. reflex at that time because you put in the work, if you will. How were mm -hmm. you when you were placed into that type of format? Because you're coming in, new guy, but you have this drive to see who you are. How did you function within that that uh, um, sphere, if you will? Yeah, it's funny you should bring this up because I was actually just writing about this um, over the past couple of days. Um, I'm working on a new book. It's a collaborative book um, with a good friend of mine. Um, the title of the book, the working title right now is Coaching Greatness. Um, mm -hmm. and it's all about um, how to, you know, the intersection of leadership, um, coaching and greatness. That's what my chapter is going to be about. I, I go through this, um, you know, this topic, what I, what I like to refer to as invitational leadership. Um, yeah. And part of that is telling a bit of my story and and driving into those those training grounds for the first time and what was going through my head, um, realizing that you know I I've gone from San Diego to Quantico, Virginia, which is where the training is conducted, and you drive from the airport to the uh, the, the training grounds. Um, they put you in like an old like refashioned school bus, and you're driving mm -hmm. in there, and you're miles and miles and miles of lush green wilderness and just you know you look around yourself and you just realize like for me it was okay i'm truly alone right now meaning um i don't have any friends or family around me so this is like the first time in my life when i really have to um kind of rely on myself and yes i'm going to make yeah. new friends and i'm in, in, and all that but that hasn't happened yet so it's, this is this one's going to be up to me i can't rely on my family to get me through and so as we are going through that, you know, there's several things that they teach you in training. One is that um, one is that you're going to make mistakes. They tell you yeah. all the time mistakes, and making a mistake is not the critical issue, right? Because we're all going to do that. Yeah. What what is the critical issue is how you respond to those mistakes and whether or not you can learn from them and and pick yourself up and continue moving forward. Um, yeah. You're going to be told that you suck a lot. You know, they're going to try to break you down mm -hmm. a little bit. And because um, they want to know whether or not you're going to be able to bounce back, you know, whether or not you have that self-confidence inside yourself to be able to pick yourself back up and keep going. Yeah. Um, one of the first lessons I learned that stands out in my mind about leadership is that we were put in a um, it was like a, you know, a little makeshift training, um, you know, scenario where. Uh, I'm trying to move um, being the leader and you have to like, you know, I think I had to move an ammo can from point A to point B up and over a couple obstacles. And you have to maneuver your team through the through the little challenge within like a, mm -hmm. you know, five minute time timeline or whatever. Um, and I remember I spent so much time trying to solicit advice from my other team members that I actually ran out of time because I was trying to come up with like a collaborative. <laughs> yeah. Collaborative. Either, yeah, yeah. So leading about collaboration rather than actually taking charge and leading. And yeah. so they they told me like you failed this event because you spent so much time trying to be everybody's friend. You're the leader. You need to tell yeah. them what they're. You know, it, 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 soliciting advice is great, but you take you do that in the first thirty seconds, and then you pick up, then you tell everybody what they're doing, then you go. It doesn't matter yeah. whether or not I necessarily agree with you. That's not the job of the leader. The leader is to accomplish the mission first and foremost. And especially when you're in a time compressed environment. And yeah. so that was like the first thing that was impressed upon me. You know, you completely failed this leadership event. Hmm. What are you going to do about that? And so from there, I picked it up. And the next time I was in that, it was about a month later. The next time I was doing that, I accomplished it. And I was one of the few people to actually accomplish the mission uh, because they don't actually wow. they don't care if you accomplish the mission. What they actually care about is your leadership principles as you're going through. Whether or not you actually accomplish it, that's not that's kind of secondary to them. What they want to see yeah. is is your process and what you're going through. And so I ended up accomplishing it. And not only that, I got top marks in in the leadership category as well. Yeah. So it's about you know how you how you respond to criticism is one of the key things that they impress on you very very early. Yeah, critical thinking skills, man. How do you move from point A to B when you yeah. have all obstacles being tossed at you all the time? So that's the it throw you in hot water. One of the greatest lessons I've ever learned um, when I was working in about leadership and mistakes. And guys, people that are listening to us, 
perfection is the enemy of personal growth. I've been trying to tell you this from the day this podcast started. There's no such thing. Um, uh, we will always continue to grow. And uh, perfection, uh, if you chase that, it's like the wind. You will get there and it will not be there. So you have to learn uh, that and re become um, accepting of it, that there's no such thing. And once you have that understood, then whatever happens as you're moving, as uh, Jason said, what we call mistakes, um, sometimes I wonder, I wish we had a better word than that, because what it is, it's a learning experience. And it's really wasn't a mistake. It's just you, you, right. you did something and you realize that that's not the thing that worked or would work. And I think it's more of a learning thing than a mistake, but I get it. That's the word that we use to describe that. I was well, a project manager. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, let me, it was, I agree with that completely. So like, you know, this is something I've taught um you know my students at university um and it's something that i employ when i'm writing is you know i say that my, my job when i first start writing is to just write a a first draft and the first yeah. draft is probably bad but that's okay mm -hmm. you know it's all about getting what's in here what's up here but mostly in here just out on the page and yeah. so in order to do that my actual process is that i separate myself um, normally it's in the morning with a little bit of coffee because that's just the way I like doing it. Um, and I need to shut myself off from the world. And then what I do, instead of writing on a computer, because a computer is very easy to hit that backspace, that dreaded little backspace yeah. button, because you, you know, the sentence isn't perfect or you don't yeah. like the way it sounds. And so you end up with a blank page after staring at it for 30 minutes. So what I do is I actually have a notebook with like a pen in my hands and I just yeah. keep on writing. And it doesn't matter whether or not I think the sentence is good or whether I think the paragraph is structured properly because I can fix all that in editing. All that yeah. really matters in that first draft is getting everything out, getting a bad first draft because I can tweak and edit a bad first draft, but you can't tweak or edit something that doesn't exist. Yeah, so just having something out there and getting all your ideas out on the page, first of all, they're no longer in here. Um, so that'll actually reduce your stress level. I find that that's what it does to me is when I'm able to get my ideas out on a, on a page, I no longer, no longer have to like keep them up in my head all the time. It's no longer keeping me awake at night. It's out on a page and then I can just work with it from there and fine tune it. And, um, and so like to your point, it's, you know, is that first draft, is that a mistake? No, but that doesn't mean it's yeah. also it's not the final draft either. It's mm -hmm. just the first draft and that's all it needs to be. Yeah. There's a, um, scripture in the Bible that says, write down the vision. And I'm like you, I have a notepad that I have to write it down. I'm, I'm old school. I have to touch the paper and see it and stuff like that. And yeah. it was the very same process I did with my books when I wrote it. I just sat down and emptied myself. Um, mm -hmm. I have people that will do the editing sometimes, you know, I'll go and read it, but I have people that I I'm work with and I'm like, okay, I've, I've, um I've, I've you know just vomited this thing can you help me <laughs> help me clean it up if you will you know and yeah. um but my goal as here as i was i wanted to empty myself i wanted to get it out because as i mentioned on the onset we are all meditators all of us the, the human being is a meditator and if you don't empty yourself of it you will be meditating on it all the time and next thing you know you're you're stressing yourself your your expectation of not doing anything with it is mm -hmm. going to cause you some stress so here you are you're in there you're learning you um had the vision as you said of you going in and the initial feelings that you had when you got there and you began to go deeper into the training process uh, uh jason when you began to now began to uh deal with the uh, the guy, as you said, the terminology you guys learn as you're in there, um, um, watch my six and all those different things. You start learning all of those language, the, the everything. How mm -hmm. did you begin to perform within that? You as the individual, how did you um, manage yourself in there? A lot of it was putting my head down and and just 
going forward through kind of the tough times, you know, there's periods yeah. of where you just kind of have to gut it through and you're learning all along the way. Um, and you want to ask questions, you know, the, the instructors will ask you to do something that maybe doesn't make sense, even though later you realize it did make sense. You just didn't understand it at the time. So yeah. it's just trusting the process mm -hmm. and, and realizing that you can make it through. And if something, if it seems bad or you seem like you're at the end of the rope, you're really only about 70% of the way there because you're, you are capable of so much more than you actually think that you are. So that was part yeah. of it. The, the other part of what I started doing was really forming very close bonds of friendship with the other people on the platoon that were with me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I think forms bonds of friendship and closeness better than adversity and mm -hmm. hardship and a little bit yes. of suffering. Um, yeah. I used to joke with uh, with one of my close friends in the Marines that, um, you know, these there's businesses that do these leadership retreats because they want all the the people to to kind of mesh and become friends and, and work together closely. And we always used to joke, like, if we could put some of them and take them to like a week of Marine Corps training, <laughs> that uh, that would form closer bonds of friendship than perhaps <laughs> any little trip out in the woods ever would. Because, you know, you either come together as a team um, and survive and make it through or you remain individuals and you're going to fail. That's just simply the way it is. Yeah. I think there's a couple of guys that I, I knew, um, ex-military guys that are doing that at a corporate level where mm -hmm. they are um, bringing them on the field and teaching them you, you will either succeed together or you will die apart. And so they have to learn those principles within mm -hmm. um, a um, pressure, if you will, you know, the hard times and where they push them through the training right. and stuff like that to do that. I know of a couple of them that are doing it right, man. You guys had it. You had the <laughs> idea when you were in, in the <laughs> trenches, if you will. So here you are. You've gotten to learn to all these different principles and stuff like that and the greatness that is residing inside of you, the power of the mind. Um, uh, any athlete will know that, uh, and I tell people when you're in the military, when you're an athlete and you're pushing the body, these are the st stuff you hear, terminology like the wall and stuff mm -hmm. like that when you're coming against the wall. That mm -hmm. wall is when your body has nothing left to give but you have to find it somewhere inside of you. And how do you find that? It's inside of your mind. That's mm -hmm. where that stuff, it'll push you beyond that. So as you are yep. training and learning all of those techniques, because it's going to be how you're going to come out with that information, if you will. So here you mm -hmm. are, you talked about your tours and so forth. And the tours, you've been through your training and now you did the dress rehearsal, and now it's showtime. Mm -hmm. It's showtime, and um, there's no more practice. This is the real stuff. The, the bullets are flying over, and you have to incorporate all of your training, your mental awareness, and stuff like that. Jason, when you were there, your team is there. You guys are there. You know, you have your lax time or whatever, but when it got a little tight, if you will, how did you... And you talked about leadership. How did you begin to lead and how did you begin to see your leadership skills beginning to manifest at mm -hmm. a faster rate, if you will? The big thing that I learned about leadership is that leadership is probably about probably about 75% about listening, mm -hmm. which seems to predict what I said earlier about, but, you know, I was, when I was speaking earlier, I said, you know, when you're in a time compressed environment, you can't lead by collaboration, which is true. But when you're not in a time compressed environment, it's a lot about listening to your, to your men and uh, to, to the people that you're in charge of and seeing, you know, just asking them, what do you need? What, um, you know, how can I help you? I always viewed my job as a leader as empowering my subordinates in order to do their jobs most effectively. Mm -hmm. So it's not micromanaging. That's the, the theory of military leadership is all about pushing decision-making 
ability down to the lowest possible level and empowering your subordinates to be able to do their jobs most effectively. So yeah. how are you feeling? How's things back at home? You know, and, and we had some really terrible things going on, like, you know, back home, whether that be, you know, issues with their family, issues with their spouse. And if they're distracted like that, they can't perform effectively at their jobs, right? Because yeah. that's all back of their minds. Um, so listening to them and then figuring out what you can do to either remove obstacles, to take something off their plate or to empower them further in order to be able to do their jobs. That's like the greatest military le or leadership lesson that I learned um, when I was uh, over in Afghanistan. And then when I did my subsequent deployment over to the Western Pacific, it's all about, you know, leadership is a people business. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all about understanding people. Um, and, and in order to understand people, you need to spend time with them. It's not yeah. just about sitting in your office and then kind of delegating or looking at a spreadsheet. If you want to understand what's really going on, go and sit in the barracks room, go and actually spend some time out on the field with them. Um, and then just, just talk, just, just listen to what they're saying. Um, look at their demeanors, pay attention. That's the biggest thing, paying attention. Mm -hmm what's going on and you know i've seen i've seen leaders that have literally been like talking to me and saying i don't know what's going on in my team i don't know how i can help them and i kind of look over and i see like you know i see something going on like you know one of their guys seems to you know have his head hanging low and uh he's he doesn't you know seem like he's in the best spirits and i'm like well why don't you go talk to him right now and ask yeah. him what's going on like, you know pick your head up, actually pay attention to what's going on instead of, uh, you know, being aloof from, from your men. Yeah. It's always about making your people better. And when you do that, they will always perform better. And you well, do that as you state by talking with them. It's about investing in them and showing that you actually, yeah. right. Yeah. People, mm -hmm. tell, people can tell if you're using them instrumentally. Mm -hmm. Um, or whether you actually care, right? There's a bit yeah. of like, it, people have a feeling, people have a sense, people kind of, there's kind of a smell to it, right? Like the, uh, yeah. the intent that you have, um, the, uh, the attitude that you have, um, and how you treat them. People don't like being treated instrumentally, but if you can prove and demonstrate that you actually care about them and their well being, um, and that you're interested in their developments, people will, they'll, be incredibly loyal and they will move mountains for you but you have to make the first step and actually demonstrate that you actually care for them yeah empathy is part of leadership um getting down um there's so many lessons about that all over life and uh, in every arena so here you are you you're moving through life and uh, you're coming out you're um out your back home and uh we know all I mean, hear the stories is uh, how difficult sometimes it takes to make that transition. Because mm -hmm. again, this is something that you've been doing for many years, and then all of a sudden you're home um, at the at, at the on the farm, if you will, and you have the family, and you have to assimilate into normalcy, as they say to us. And that transition um, can be a drastic one. How did you, and you mentioned it with yourself and your said that it was a little tough. Explain mm -hmm. that uh, in layman's term, if you will, a little tough. What was it that started to happen to you and how did you uh, uh, eventually manage to propel yourself from that dark space into moving into where you are today? Really, um didn't really know exactly what I was going to, going to do. I knew I was going to go back to school. Um, yeah. but the, um, the meaning and the purpose of going to school is not exactly the same as when you're in the military, when you're in the Marines, that forms your entire identity. And yeah. so getting out of the Marines, you know, it was just like one day you're a Marine, one day you're not. And that mission statement is just gone. Uh, in my book, I call it the, um, the problem of the modern day Ronin, um, a yeah. Ronin, the samurai term, um, mm -hmm. Japanese term of the samurai. Um, and what happens if a samurai were trained from the age of five 
in military leadership, in, in military tactics, in swordsmanship, um, and they were trained to serve their master. And sometimes, though, whether it be through warfare or other uncir- uh, uh, um, you know, unfavorable circumstances, uh, a samurai would lose his master. And, they, and so a, a samurai without a master was called a ronin. Mm-hmm. And they were without purpose. They were without meaning. Um, the word ronin is actually um, made with the characters, the Japanese characters for floating and man, meaning a floating man, a, a floating, a person adrift without any anchor, without any purpose, um, yeah. being to and fro. And so some of them would commit suicide, which we've seen plenty of veterans commit suicide. Um, some of them would... Um, get involved in thievery or banditry or just go to whatever warlord raised the battle flag because they wanted to fight. They wanted a, a meaning and a purpose. And so I, I kind of felt a shadow of that same, you know, lost purposelessness when I transitioned out of the Marines. Um, and for me, it resulted in a good deal of anxiety, depression. Um, I started self-medicating for a while um, because I just didn't know what to do. You know, I, I had to yeah. uh, on my hands, but I didn't know, you know, what the purpose of my life truly was going to be. And it was only by kind of coming back to the core principles that I had learned in the Marines about service, um, the service mentality, about living life with truth and with strength and power and with fortitude, which are the primary virtues I talk about in my book. It was only by coming back to those that I was able to pull myself out of that and start putting, um, you know, my life back together again. As you you did that, um, you know, uh, you have many brothers and sisters that are mm-hmm. probably still in that space right now, Jason, and you, uh, better than I, would know how to communicate with them right there, because I know we have some listeners that are military and ex-military from uh, them mm-hmm. getting in touch with me. I want you to talk a little, let's, let's linger here a minute, because that is a tough transition for many. Mm-hmm. And as I said, you have many brothers and sisters out there that are in that space. Um, remind them, if you will, uh, some of those principles that you uh, were able to uh, reconnect with in, able, in order to pull you up, for you to stand up, to begin to take the steps to move from the depression and all of the different self-medication and so forth to begin yeah. to stand and breathe, talk to um, to them a little and remind them, if you will, about some of those principles that you were trained with. But because of your situation, you, you know, it's easy to forget it uh, as you, you've known personally yourself. Yeah. You know, there's um, something I've run into uh, with myself and, my, and many times when I'm talking to veterans, um, and that's, you know, when you're in the military, you're taught this radical form of responsibility, especially when you're on the battlefield, and that's taking ownership of absolutely anything that happens, not making excuses, and treating it as if it's your job, your um, your problem to fix, right? doesn't matter yeah. if it's your fault, but you're going to take ownership of it. And that's that form of radical ownership, radical responsibility um, absolutely has a place when you're on the battlefield. The problem is um, oftentimes returning home and um, being unable to let go of some of the things that happened when you were um, when you were overseas, um, whether that's something that happens uh, in a gunfight, something that you did, something that happened to you, something that happened to your team. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, um, that I've found it's, I I call it in the book, I call it, um, kind of a form of, of self denigration. You get to a point where you just think that it was all your fault because you were taught this form of radical responsibility. And it's really kind of the opposite problem of what we see, um, kind of going on in the culture right now, um, is this sort of victim mentality where everything is somebody else's fault and you're the of circumstance. Um, well, the opposite of that is this form of radical ownership, radical responsibility, where everything's your fault. And I think that, you know, for me, I definitely fell into that where, you know, 
I started to doubt who I was. I started to doubt some of the decisions I had made. And it was only by going through and realizing that um, you, you really have to kind of dig into what happened and you really have to yeah. uh, do a couple of things. One is realize that, you know, if you make a decision and it has a bad outcome, a lot of times we think that that means you made a bad decision. Not yeah. always. Not always. Yeah. Sometimes you made the best decision that you could with the information that you had at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. You were in a stressful situation. You had a certain amount of information and you made the best decision that you could. Sometimes that comes. Sometimes that means that, that, you, that a good outcome happens. Sometimes that means that a bad outcome happens. Uh, the simple example that they talk through um, when you're in like a decision analytics course in, um, in business school is a simple case of, you know, somebody who buys a lottery ticket versus somebody who takes the time to study and make an educated investment in a business, right? Yeah. Now, we would, most of us would say that, you know, buying a lottery ticket is a rather stupid decision. Probably not the mm -hmm. smartest you can make because it's more or less gambling. Whereas taking time to make an educated decision and invest in the business is a smarter decision, a smarter investment decision. But here's the thing. Businesses will still go belly up. They're still going yeah. to fail. And somebody is going to win the lottery. Mm -hmm. so if somebody wins the lottery, does that mean that they retroactively made a good decision to buy a lottery ticket? No. Yeah. It was still a terrible yeah. decision. It just had yeah. a good outcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Conversely, yeah. somebody took time to invest in the business and then that business fails to think, well, I made a bad decision. It's like, no, you yeah. made a good decision. It just unfortunately had a bad outcome. And there are yeah. situations like that in life where you made the best decisions you could. And you need to understand that. You need to understand you made the best decision you could at the time in a stressful environment where you didn't have all the information available to you. And maybe something unfortunate happened as a result of that. Yeah. Firstly, yeah. there might be some times when you made a poor decision. Maybe you maybe you weren't everything that you that you intended to be. Um, you kind of let yourself down in a certain area. And that's okay too. Under, like giving yourself a certain amount of grace to the point of realizing that you're human, you have your failings, you may have been 21 or 22 years old when you made when you made that decision. And now, you know, and, and the idea that 21 and 22 year olds make poor decisions, that's not exactly news to most of us, right? You know, <laughs> too, you make a lot of stupid decisions, that just happens, much yeah. less when you're in a combat environment, and stress is so extremely high, and you and you really think that you might die at any moment. So yeah. giving grace, realizing that even if you did make a poor decision, even if you did let yourself down, that's part of being human. And yeah. from there is saying, okay, now that I've realized that, now that I've kind of dissected this, how am I going to make, you know, if this decision comes up again, what am I going to do in the future? Yeah. And once you understand that, once you understand how you've changed and how you've grown from a, from a decision that, that, that you made, that's, I think, when the healing process can start and you can start putting yourself back together and you can start. It's not exactly letting yourself off the hook, but it's giving yourself the same grace that you give somebody else in the same position. And yeah. then you can start to move past that and kind of start working through whatever it is, the PTSD, the guilt, the um, the uh, the lingering feelings of of anger or resentment or whatever they are. Once you've understood that, you can start moving through those. At least that's yeah, been you, my. Yeah, you have to identify them first so that you know what you're talking with and what you're dealing with. And when you see them, then they become smaller. You're able to manage it. But mm -hmm. uh, to get into that space, one must become humble, um, patient, forgiving. Yeah. All of those different uh, qualities that we look for in a relationship and i tell them you're having a relationship but the relationship is with you is the most important relationship you'll have and based from your relationship with you will be able to have a better understanding of relationships number one and you'll mm -hmm. be able to offer that individual that is before you in a relationship uh, mm -hmm. a deeper um, understanding or, or a deeper connection because you understand a relationship and because you, you practice with yourself.
So here you are, right. you've gone, you've, you've stepping out and you began to move forward. Um, Jason, when was it, at what point in time did you um, began to think of putting the format as to all of your training to now bring it into a format by which you are going to serve, meaning the mindset, the, um, the warrior uh, belief system and stuff like that and putting it in the book. How did that thread came about as you're moving through your healing process? So the inspiration from the book actually came from um, when we were all during lockdown and COVID, as we might remember, you know, something happened yeah. in 20 that kind of shook the world, dating the woman who would um, now become my wife. And um, it was a stressful time. We actually met in December of, what was it, 2019? Um, so yeah. right before the lockdowns. Right before, and we, yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's a way to get to know somebody really quickly. Um, <laughs> like six months in lockdown together. Um, so, you know, we were, the, the relationship was either going to flourish or it was going to fall apart. Ours just happened to flourish. Uh, so we were yeah. lucky. Um, but I remember, you know, it was a stressful time for all of us. And, uh, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of, uh, hatred going around. And I remember, having a lot of, you know, this, this uh, desire to help people to try to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And mm -hmm. I have a lot of things going on in my head. And the only way that I could actually get to sleep at night, because I was having a lot of trouble sleeping, the only way I could do that was actually to get out my notebook and to write down everything that was going on in my head. Um, yeah. And everything that I would say to, I wished I could say rather to people or, or rather everything I wish I could say to my students because I was teaching at the time um, yeah. and saw a lot of anxiety and hopelessness in the students. And so just writing all these things down and once they were out of my head I, and what ended up happening is my wife girlfriend at the time picked up the notebook and read through a couple of the entries that I had written, written down. And she said, this is actually really, really good. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Because I think that you could actually really help some people um, yeah. based on your experiences and based on what you're saying here. And when she first said that, I was like, no, no, I'm not a, I'm not an author. You know, that's not for me. Um, yeah. But she, and she didn't let up. And I started to think about it. I started to say, well, if I was going to write a book, what would the title be? You know, could I write an outline? Uh, you know, and, and it was that incremental step forward of just taking one step at a time. And then eventually I told myself, you know, maybe I can do this. Um, and at the time I was also reading a couple of books and one of them called King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, um, talking about the four primal archetypes of the masculine personality. And when I mm -hmm. got to this warrior archetype, I said, okay, if I'm going to write a book, I could actually maybe write about this. And because I could expand on this and I could, I could really dive into what it means to be a warrior. And so that was that was really the impetus for for what ended up becoming uh, the book is realizing that maybe I did have something to offer. And with the encouragement of several of the people around me who had read some of the writing that I had done and said, told me that it was very good. Um, I started piecing it together piece by piece. And a couple of years later, it turned into a book. You know, so that's that's how that happened. <laughs> Congratulations on that. And uh, you mentioned that you you focus on four principles um, mm -hmm. that you had mentioned, and I want you to go into them briefly uh, for our listeners, so that they can have an understanding of of what you do, so that when they call, and one of the reasons why I do what I do with the questions and getting the individual our guests to talk about it is because I want to prepare you guys that when you make a call into Jason's space and, and when you buy his book and all these type of things, that you're coming serious. You're coming, you're not playing. You're getting all that playing. You were listening to us for, for um, a little while and it began to, uh, questions began to pop up and you want to reach out. So when you reach out, you are serious about it because if you're serious about it, you will have your uh, your revelation, your changing, if you will. Your, and all it is is a shift of your perspective. 
you're seeing your situation a certain way. Mm-hmm. And um, you are going to have a conversation with someone who has gone through some training and he sees his uh, perception, his world a different way. And so he's going to assist you to shift your perspective just by probing some questions. And once he, once you get it, you'll sit there and go, wow. And then that will open the entrance for you to shift and your life will begin to change. Jason, talk to them and let them know some of uh, your four um, pillars, mm-hmm. if you will. And how did you come about it? And if you can just give them a little taste of each one of those pillars. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Overall problem that I address in the book is, from my perspective, a lot of the timeless warrior virtues that have animated our society, our culture, and really many cultures throughout the world, throughout history, are kind of under attack right now. They're, they've become unfashionable. They've even been called toxic. Things like grit, self-reliance, personal responsibility, um, gratitude. Um, they're kind of, they're not in vogue anymore. And so yeah. my solution to that in, is to develop the warrior spirit in yourself. Yeah. And so what is the warrior spirit? I spoke, like you said, I focus on four virtues. The first being the servant leader mentality. The servant leader mentality, we've kind of been talking about that, is this idea what I, that I call invitational leadership. It's realizing that, which is, it's, it's the opposite of authoritarian leadership. It means mm-hmm. that people want to follow you. They're not forced to follow you. They want to follow you because of who you are as an individual, because of your moral yeah. character. They realize that you have their best interest at heart. And so we, we discuss what exactly that means. And we also talk um, in, the, in the book, I discuss how it kind of helps to solve the problem one of the tensions in our modern society between collectivism and individualism, which are two ideas that are really warring, uh, whether mm-hmm. or not you're an individual and whether or not you should just focus on yourself um, and be concerned primarily with yourself. That's kind of the individualist mindset or whether you're part of a group um, and whether you're defined um, by whatever group that you belong to. Neither of which, neither extreme of which I think is a good idea. And I think that the servant leader mentality really helps to bridge that difference, realizing that you are an individual in the sense that you have individual autonomy. You also have responsibility for yourself, but it doesn't stop there. You really have to broaden that personal responsibility to take on a more social obligation to your family, to your friends, to you in the military, to your unit, to the other men and women in your unit. Um, yeah. Because if you don't do that, quite honestly, it doesn't matter how good of a shot you are. It doesn't matter how physical you are. It doesn't matter any of that, how good of a tactician you are. If you only care about yourself, you're not wanted in the Marines. You're not wanted in the military um, because that's going to be a very toxic and dangerous mindset to have. And so that's, and this is what I've kind of talked to as I've been on a couple different podcasts. So we've talked to the, to the point of not only is it something that like you should do, you should have that sort of social obligation, but that's also where people generally find the most meaning and purpose in their lives is mm-hmm. in serving other people. Um, it's not in serving themselves and attaining more for themselves. It's really in realizing what they can do to serve their community, their friends, their family, the world around them. That's where true meaning and purpose is found. So that's the first virtue. The second is I talk about this idea of truth, which is kind of a complicated topic in our modern society. Again, what is truth? You know, everybody has their own truth. Um, and so I talk through four principles of truth that help us to understand what it is and help us to understand what being an honest, truthful person really is. Um, I say truth is constrained by reality, meaning we have to not realign reality to ourselves, but kind of help to align ourselves to the reality that's going on. That's broadening our perspective and and being able to understand what's going on. The second is that truth is dependent on perspective. And you've kind of talked about this, the conditioning that you have as a child, the the experiences that you've had growing up, that's all going to shape the way that you see the world around you. And so 
one way to affect the world if you don't like what you see around you is to change your perspective. And so yeah. we talk about different ways of doing that. Um, the third principle is that truth is, it, it facilitates personal development. It creates warriors mm -hmm. um, is the way I say it. Um, and that's the one thing that is, is beat into you in training is that um, you're going to be told the truth, the honest truth about whether or not you're meeting the standard or whether or not. And so that is what eventually forces you to uh, to develop yourself personally yeah. and professionally. And the fourth principle of truth is that it's based in action. It's not just something that you do or that you, you say, right? We all say that actions speak louder than words. And I truly believe that that's the case, that, you know, if you want to truly be an honest person in your life, you have to align your actions with your words. Yeah. Only then you can really be an honest person. Um, the third, the third um, virtue I talked through is kind of a dual virtue of strength and power. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, this chapter really kind of confronts the idea of like really discussing what is power. You know, there's an idea in our modern culture that, um, that like all human interactions, all relationships, all hierarchies, everything is predicated and based on power. And so people have power based on whatever group they belong to or whether position, you know, in the social hierarchy. Um, and I, I like to flip that around on its head and say, you know, I, I think that people have strength and have power based on their personal decisions and based on um, how they develop themselves and based on their competence and who are the, who they are as individuals, based on their moral yeah. character, not based on their ra random, you know, birthright in society, so to speak. And yeah. so that's what the chapter explores. The fourth one yeah. is fortitude. And I kind of talked to this a little bit, the the balance between the victimhood mentality on one hand and the self-denigration on the other. Fortitude is when you have hardships and you have suffering that comes into your life, you, you're faced with something that you don't like. First of all, understanding where that comes from. And the second piece is understanding how you should respond to that. Because it's not, it's not a question of if storms are going to come into your life. It's a question of when will storms come into your life and whether or not you're going to be prepared to deal with them and how you're going to be able to weather that storm uh, relies a lot on um, on the principle of fortitude. And I kind of go into a couple of biblical stories in that chapter, talking about how, um, you know, in in the biblical stories, very often suffering is formed is is seen as a marker for sin. Um, mm -hmm. Something's going wrong in your life. Something unfortunate is happening. It could be a sign, you know, sin just means to miss the mark. It could mean that you're missing the mark in some area. And yeah. so it's a sign for you that, hey, maybe I need to adjust the way I'm living to what, you know, some, some of my practices and what's going on in my life. Take a good hard look and realize, you know, where I might be missing that mark a little bit and adjust accordingly. Absolutely beautiful. I love it. Um, we are called to be servants. We are not called to be tribal. Uh, when we get into tribalism, that's when we get into all the hierarchy thinking, who's in charge as far as that, and who's the, you know, I'm the boss and all that type of tribal thinking. But when you are one of a servant, Jesus said, the least among you is the greatest. So yes. it's a totally different uh, benchmark at your government. Really flips that yep. on its head. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the... the principles that I take, one of the Bible stories that I take to teach what you're talking about, uh, how one perception will cause you to, to sink, if you will, as Peter, walking on water. He had mm -hmm. a perception. Jesus said, come. He said, if that's you, come. He said, so he's, he's, and the condition of that situation, if you read it, storm was all over the place. It was a stormy night, the stormy night. And so he jumps out of the boat and began to walk in the storm. Mm -hmm. And then Peter change his perspective he hmm. began to focus on something else right focus his perspective is shifted and the minute his perception shift hmm. he got he lost his focus sank mm -hmm. and that's what we do um but that same perspective when he switched it from fearfulness and all the other thing he was able hmm. to walk on water he, hmm. he he was one of the 
men in, on the planet that we know through documentation broke the the um, the law of gravity and walked on it. Um, so that's a great feat. But he switched his perspective mm -hmm. and he began to sink and he cried out and Jesus grabbed him and said, "Come on, boy, let's 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 do this thing somewhere else." And so. He right. was trying to show them the greatness of who they were, shifting their perspective from uh, tax collectors and fishermen mm -hmm. to fishers of men. And so when right. they did that switch, those boys changed the world as we know it today. So every one of you that are listening and you hear Jason talking about his story, I want to invite you guys to come get into his books, um, get the uh the warrior's journal get all those things i'll provide all the links for you to get into his space get in touch with him those of you that are in the military that you are in that dark space you have a brother that he can uh assist you maybe guide you to places that will be able to help you assist you to move forward and through from where you're at and uh so that you can see you are a warrior and you have that warrior within you, you just need to give him the opportunity to stand up and he will protect you, as they say. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming to Threads of Enlightenment, man. This has been a good one. Thank you so much, sir. Hey, thanks so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Um, and again, guys, I'm going to provide everything for you guys to reach him because you ought to. And get you his books. For other family, uh, many of us have friends that are in the military. Many of us, I have tons of them. I want you guys to buy it and offer his stuff as gifts so that you can help them transition and see that it is capable and someone has some information that they may need to help them where they're at. Again, thank you so much, man.